You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Tim, I'm the senior minister here at St. John's, and it's good to be with you uh, looking at this passage from Isaiah. Uh, Let me encourage you to grab a Bible and get it out, page 596. Uh, It'd really help you to sort of follow along as we think about it. Uh, And remember to the Q&A line. So some of the stuff that we're going to wrestle with tonight's uh, a little bit tricky, uh, but you might have questions that you want to text in, and uh, if it's still sort of a bit fuzzy... As the talk goes along, you might want to clarify that and text your questions through. Uh, But before I get into it, uh, I want to tell you, I need to tell you, uh, something uh, strange that has been happening in terms of our church finances. So particularly the money that is given, people's hard-earned cash that they put in the plate each week uh, or give electronically uh, and what's been happening with that. Now, some of you will already know this, but others may not know uh, this information. At last year's AGM, when we agreed to the budget, we agreed that 15% of what came in in terms of our money uh, would be given away uh, to support mission work outside the church, so uh, throughout Victoria, throughout Australia and throughout the world. And that means that if we meet our budget this year, that we'll be giving away something like $70,000 to work that's being done outside St John's. Some of that money um, is getting sent to as far away as Indonesia and Barcelona and Tanzania, right? That's a bit odd, isn't it? I mean, that's $70,000 that could be used here for us and for the work that we're doing And yet this money is being sent away to faraway places overseas to support that work's going on there. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Well, as we unpack the passage tonight, I hope it becomes clearer why this is a priority for us as a church and why this is something that we're going to continue to do. Um, Now, Natalie, who's our finance warden, can now de-stressed that I'm not about to announce some news. She's going, what? What? What's happening with our money? Oh, that's okay. I already knew about that. But it's strange when you pull it apart like that and you think that amount of money being sent to other places, why why would we do that? Why does a church choose to do that? Uh, This passage helps us with that. This is uh, the second of these four servant songs So these four prophetic passages written hundreds of years before Jesus, which speak about this mysterious figure who's just called the servant, or the servant of the Lord. Um, And as we saw last week, um, there's kind of clues in the passage about the identity of who this servant might be, and also we get hints as to what the servant, when he comes, will do. Uh, And that's the way I want to unpack it today. I want to think a little bit about what clues are there to the identity of this servant? What's the servant going to do? And why does this matter? How does this impact how we live as followers of Jesus and as a church? Um, so the identity of the servant. Now, as you come to this passage, as Steph was reading it to us, this is actually the servant himself speaking. We um, change characters often in prophetic writing, and sometimes um, different figures are kind of the voice or the narrator speaking. So it's actually the servant who is speaking here 
uh, in chapter 49, verse 1. And the servant is speaking to the whole world. So this is what he says in verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. So the servant is addressing the world at large. The islands are kind of uh, places far away over the sea. For the nation of Israel, the sea um, was a mysterious place, so islands are, are distant places. They wouldn't have even known that Australia exists, but here are we as a distant island, and it's like the servant is speaking to the whole world, and us included. And the servant says, God has given me a job to do, and God even chose me before I was born. When I was in my mother's womb, God called my name. And because and, we want to know who the servant is, right? It's, it's tantalizing us and saying, God called your name. What's your name? But it doesn't tell us. Verse 2 shows that there's a mystery that's going on here. So verse 2 says that... Um, The servant's mouth is like a sharpened sword, which is a biblical image for speaking the word of God. The word of God is often described as a sword. So um, this servant will speak the word of God, but at the same time, this sword is hidden in the palm of God's hand. Speaking out and yet hidden, mysterious. Uh, It goes on to say that he's a polished arrow that will be fired, but the arrow is concealed in the quiver. There's a hiddenness. Who is this servant? We don't know. There's a mystery. And then in verse 3, it looks like the mystery is solved for us. Verse 3 says, He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. So there you have it. Mystery solved. Who is the servant? Well, it's identified here as Israel, God's people, the nation that God had chosen, God's people, Uh, Israel, a clear identification of who the servant is. Well, at this stage in Israel's history, as we saw last week, the northern part of the country has been completely wiped out by the Assyrian army. There's only the southern part left, and they've been attacked by another nation, the Babylonians, and carried off as prisoners, captives, and exiles to the foreign land of Babylon. Um, And yet here, it seems to be saying that the servant is, is Israel. Mystery solved? bit too straightforward. Verse 5 makes it a big problem just a few verses later. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and to gather Israel to himself. Verse 6 says the same. Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept? So here's the problem. The servant apparently is Israel, but at the same time, the servant is going to gather Israel and restore Israel. See the problem? How can the servant be Israel and yet gather Israel? How can that happen at the same time? So there's this puzzle, there's this mystery around the servant and the identity of the servant and you're left going, but how can that be? And hundreds of years before Jesus, you're thinking, how can the servant be this and do this? Uh, One way that uh, people try to resolve it is by saying, well, it could be that the servant is Israel in the sense that it's the faithful, the people who stay faithful to God within the nation of Israel. It's, It's the faithful remnant that remains who is Israel. 
But you could go further and say maybe the servant is actually speaking about an individual who so lives out what Israel as God's people was supposed to be and supposed to do that in a sense they represent Israel and all it was supposed to be. And this person who does that could come and restore Israel at the same time. But there's a tension, there's a mystery, it's unresolved, and as people are hearing this prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus, you just have to sit with the tension and basically say, watch this space, it's not obvious how this can happen. So there's this mystery about the identity of the servant. What's the servant going to come to do? Well, we've already seen part of what the servant's going to come to do. Part of the job of this servant is to gather in God's people Israel and to restore them. At this point in their history, as we saw last week, they are in trouble, they're despondent, they're living in a foreign country, they're captives and prisoners. They've been taken away from the land of Israel, which God had given them, the promised land, which was so important to them because God has said, I will give you this land and it will be your land. And yet now they've been taken prisoners and away from their land. So part of the role of the servant is going to be a restoration of Israel and gathering them back together. Now Israel does come back to their land and they are restored in some way. The temple which had been destroyed gets destroyed gets rebuilt. But it's never quite the same even when they do come back to the land. Um, there's a sense and Certainly the later prophets in the rest of the Old Testament start speaking in these terms. There's a sense in which they're still in kind of a spiritual exile. Um, They're still distanced from God and they need the relationship with God to be restored. They're still in a sort of captivity, like a spiritual captivity. They're not free. Um, They're still hungering and thirsting after spiritual nourishment that needs to be provided for them. And they're still trapped in in darkness and they're needing light, the light of God, uh, to break in. Now that's true, isn't it, of uh, us and our society as well. When we um, talk to people around us and and maybe uh, it is our experience as well or it has been our experience where we feel this same sense of distance from God and needing God's light to break into our darkness and, and that hungering and thirsting to know God. You understand the sort of feeling that was going on within Israel at the time. And yet the role of the servant, we're told, is to restore and regather God's people Israel, to provide that freedom that they long for from the the spiritual exile and captivity that they're in. So that's the first part of what the servant's going to do, to regather God's people and to restore them. But the job's bigger than that. Look at the end of verse 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So God's vision here for what the servant will do is bigger than just the people of Israel who he has chosen. His plan is for the whole world and he wants the servant to have a mission to the whole world, to bring light and to show people the way to live, the way back to God for people all over the world. It's a big and a grand vision for the servant, but it's totally consistent with what God's plan has been all throughout the Bible story. 
start of the Bible, God made the world. God loves what he has made and he cares about the entire world. And even when God chooses Israel to be his special and chosen people, the entire goal of Israel being his people was that they would take the good news of God and the message of God to the rest of the world. When God made promises to Abraham, um, who was kind of the, the founder, the patriarch of the nation of Israel, God says, I promise that I'll bless you and your descendants. But he also says, and through you, the whole world will be blessed. God's vision is always to bring blessing to the whole world. But in that plan, he decided to choose the nation of Israel to bring that blessing for him. And yet Israel kind of fails to fulfill the plan that God had for them. They were supposed to live God's way and to live differently to the nations around them so that the nations would see what Israel does and think, gee, this is such a better way to live. Living with God is so impressive and so good and so just and so loving. We want to be part of that. But rather than doing that, Israel tends to say, hey, what the nations are doing in worshipping other gods is pretty cool. Let's do that. So they tend to look more like the other nations rather than standing out as a light and distinct from the other nations so that they bring blessing and other people come to know God through them. So they've failed to do that and yet we see that in this servant, whoever the servant is, God is actually going to do his work of bringing light to the nations. And down in verse 12 we've got this picture of people being gathered in And it speaks in that verse of people coming from the north and also from the west and from the region of Aswan, which is, as we all know, the south. Uh, I didn't know that, but I've learnt that this week. So they're coming from the north and the west and the south. And it's kind of weird because it's left out the east and the very place that the people of Israel are in captivity is in the east. So the image is not only are they going to bring back the people of Israel who are scattered, But people are going to come from every other direction as well, north, west, south. They're all going to come rushing in. People from all over the world will be gathered to God, gathered together, and the servant is the one who is going to do it. And it leads to this stunning conclusion at the end of the passage, uh, because this is so brilliant that people are going to be gathered from everywhere, that we read, Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and he'll have compassion on his afflicted ones. This is so good that God is going to gather people everywhere, not only his people Israel, but people all over the world, that it's worth celebrating. So it's no surprise that when the servant turns up on the scene, there is some big celebrating that happens. So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2 we read the story of Jesus' parents bringing baby Jesus, who's only eight days old at the time. They bring him into the temple. And in the temple, there's this guy called Simeon. And we're told he's a righteous and devout man. Um, And we're told that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, he's waiting for Israel to be restored, um, comforted, for God to do this work that he has promised to the people of Israel who are suffering. He's waiting for that. We're told that God's Holy Spirit is on him and God has told him that he's not going to die until he actually sees the salvation that God is going to bring, the promised one who 
who, who everyone's waiting for. And when Jesus' parents bring Jesus into the temple, Simeon goes up, takes this baby in his arms, and he says these words. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Do you hear the echo of Isaiah 49 in Simeon's words? Basically, Simeon holding this baby Jesus says, this baby is the light to the Gentiles. This is This child is going to be the one who shines God's light so that all of the nations see it. This baby is the one who's going to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. This baby is the servant, the promised one we've been waiting for. And time and time again in the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, you see what the writers do is they show how Jesus is actually the perfect fulfilment of all that Israel was supposed to be as God's chosen people. So sticking in the Gospel of Luke, um, if you jump ahead two chapters to Luke chapter 4, as Jesus commences his ministry, he goes out into the wilderness, into the desert, and he stays there for 40 days, and he's tempted by the devil to disown God, to do things his own way, and yet Jesus stays faithful to God and doesn't disobey God. And it's a parallel because Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness and God fed them and gave them water and yet they continued to disobey God and grumble against God. And so where Israel failed, Jesus is shown to be the fulfilment of what Israel was supposed to do. And time and time again you see this. As you read the gospel stories of Jesus, it's good to have an eye to this and to see how Jesus is actually the perfect fulfilment about what God's people are supposed to do, the way they're supposed to live perfectly in relationship with God, the way they're supposed to relate to all of those around them and to care for God's creation. Jesus does what Israel was called to do but failed to do. He is the true Israel, the true Israelite who represents the nation and all they were supposed to be. And as God's servant, he comes to restore Israel, but also to take the message of salvation to everyone who needs to know God as well. After Jesus has died on the cross to deal with sin and risen from the dead, um, his followers, the early church, go out with the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. So in the book of Acts, we read about people going out to tell people about Jesus, and we meet these people, Paul and Barnabas. Their church sends them out as missionaries to take the message of Jesus to others, and only a few verses into their missionary journey, they arrive at this place called Pisidian Antioch. And their, their strategy, what they always did, first stop when they went to a new town, was to go to the Jewish synagogue, the place where the Jews met to study um, their scriptures. And they would go there and they would argue from the Bible, the Old Testament, about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the prophecies and everything that's in the Old Testament. Uh, It was kind of funny when we were doing Celebrity Head because is Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, Paul and Barnabas is going, yeah, he's all through the Old Testament. He's not named, but it's all about Jesus. He is the one that the Old Testament is speaking about. And they're arguing and trying to convince people to see how Jesus is the fulfilment of everything the Bible's been talking about. 
And at the end of giving this talk, they call on people to turn to Jesus so that their sins can be forgiven. And this is their conclusion. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And we read heaps of people, uh, heaps of uh, the people in the synagogue, Jews and converts to Judaism, respond to their message and follow Jesus. But not everyone. Some people hate what they're talking about and they stir up trouble, heap abuse on them, give them a really hard time, so much so that Paul and Barnabas say, do you know what? Because you've responded like this, we're now going to take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people in the city. And so they do that. They start sharing the message of Jesus. But their justification for doing that is this. This is Acts 13.47. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 49, yeah? Isaiah 49, verse 6. But do you see the weird thing that they've done? Just when we thought we'd worked out who the servant was, right? The servant is Jesus, isn't it? Paul and Barnabas go and stuff it up because they say, for this is what the Lord has commanded us, that is, Paul and Barnabas, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so we're going, who's, who is the servant of the Lord here? Is the servant of the Lord Israel? Or is the servant of the Lord Jesus? Or is the servant of the Lord the followers of Jesus? And the answer is, yes, yes, yes. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nation, showing them God's way, but they failed to do it. Jesus comes and perfectly does it. He's the light of the world, and through his death and resurrection, he brings salvation to everyone who turns to him. But then the followers of Jesus, the church, Paul and Barnabas and all of the early church, and us too, now have a job to do the same thing, to share this message, to be the light for the whole world and to point people to Jesus so that the salvation that Jesus brings reaches to the ends of the earth. Now, that's all heavy stuff. It's probably burst a few brain cells. Again, Q&A is available, uh, as well as other therapies. <laughs> but what is the point of it all? Okay. It's hard work, I know. But the point is to show us how big and magnificent the plans of God are. Right? From these... Words of prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus, through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, through to what the early church does and continuing to today, God has a plan for the world. God has a big vision. He's committed to the world. His salvation is intended to reach to the ends of the earth. God wants to gather a people from every single nation to himself. God wants to free people everywhere from the things that enslave them. And God wants to bring comfort to people everywhere and show his compassion to all those who are afflicted. And the question for us as individuals, but also as a church community, is if this is God's vision, if God's vision is the whole world, that's God's heart and God's focus, 
Is it ours as well? It is really easy as a church to become very focused on what's happening immediately around us and what we're doing. It's like God's got this great plan. It's starting from Israel and going to the ends of the earth, but it hits a church and then it gets trapped inside the walls and can't get out. We're just so focused on each other and what we're doing here and our own needs and concerns that we forget about the big picture that God's on about. Now, hear me right here. You know, caring for each other and thinking about our concerns is important, but we can't lose sight of the fact that God has the whole world in mind and that is his focus. And so the challenge for us is not to just become focused on ourselves and what we're doing, but to keep the great mission of God for the whole world front and centre in what we're doing. We need to get outside these walls and share the message of Jesus' salvation with people in our local communities and in our schools and in our workplaces. But we can't stop there. We need to make sure that we are committed to the message going right to the ends of the earth and supporting and praying for and encouraging that mission to take place. What does that look like for us? Well, I think it means three things. Praying, giving, and going. So how do we pray? We need to listen to the prayers that we pray and make sure that we are praying in line with God's mission for the whole world. Uh, So sometimes we listen to the prayers that we tend to pray in church or we listen to the prayers that we pray and they can become very focused on our needs and concerns. Now that's okay, again, God wants to know the things that we're concerned about and the things that we're struggling with and our immediate needs. We should pray about those things. But we also need to be praying for God's plan of salvation for the whole world and for people working in different parts of the world sharing Jesus with others. Let's keep attentive to the things that we're praying about and make sure that we're praying in line with God's mission for the whole world. Giving. I mentioned at the start that 15% of what comes into our um, giving, we give away to partners who are working in mission in different places throughout the world. That is such a healthy attitude. That is one of the things that when I was being interviewed to come here uh, to this church... I went, that is the sort of church that I want to go to. If it's giving 15% of its money away to other things, that is healthy, that is good, that's the sort of place that I want to be part of. Uh, And we need to make sure that that continues to be a priority, that we support what's happening throughout the world uh, so that the message of Jesus is going out. And thirdly, going. When we were doing our vision uh, process last year, we thought a lot about the identity of our church. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that we see as St John's identity is it's very much a place where we train, we equip, and we send people out uh, to work in God's mission in different places in the world. And we've got a really proud history of doing that. Uh, So Jonathan Smith and Jimmy Young uh, are both working at a church in Carolyn Springs, the other side of Melbourne. Uh, Glenn Fairweather, who I played cricket with yesterday is heading up Prison Fellowship, which is taking the message of Jesus into our prisons and trying to share the good news of salvation with prisoners. Uh, Emma Simmons is working in South Sudan, uh, medical help, working with Medair, uh, bringing medical help to South Sudan, a very troubled country in the world with great need of medical assistance. All of those people were nurtured and they grew up in this church and then they've gone out 
to God's mission elsewhere. And it's a wonderful thing to celebrate. But we've got to ask ourselves the question, where are the next lot of gospel workers for that sort of work going to come from? And the answer is here. The answer is they're in our kids' programs, they're in our youth ministry, they're sitting in our church seats right here, right now. Um, You're never too young and you're never too old to be thinking about what God is calling you to do in service of him. Uh, And maybe as I've been speaking today and painting this picture of God's great plan for the whole world, uh, maybe your heart has been stirred in a particular way or maybe God has been prompting you particularly by his Holy Spirit to say, yes, maybe that's something that God is calling me particularly to do. It could be here, but it could be anywhere because God has a vision for the whole world and he may be calling us to serve him anywhere in it uh, because every single part of the earth and all of the peoples of the earth are God's concern, God's heart and God's passion and we need to share and align our passions with what he is passionate about. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you do care about the whole world. Uh, Thank you that you care about Australia and the gospel message of Jesus has come to this country and we thank you for those who brought it here and for those who shared the message of Jesus with us. Please continue to align our thinking, our vision and our passion uh, with you and what you are passionate about. Uh, And God, are you calling us to serve you in a particular way? Please help us to be attentive to your calling and your voice and to respond to it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.